Let me pray for us. We'll get going. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for another beautiful Sunday morning. Lord, we, where we can come to church. And uh, Lord, we could do it freely. Where we have the freedom to study your word, to praise you, to teach others about you, and to learn about you. And so, Lord, we're just so grateful for that, that we get to do that every Sunday. So, God, we ask that you would bless our endeavors today to know you know through your word. May your spirit guide us, as always, as correction is needed, may be done in gentleness and love. It's the name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen. All right. Exodus chapter 32, verses, uh, verse 30 is where we're at. Um, now, I'm not even sure where we left off last time. We got to a certain point, and then there was just a lot of discussion about what was going on. And so I, I, think, I think we're at verse 30. Um, but we're at the story of the golden calf, right? Moses has been up on the mountain, Mount Horeb, received the instruction for the Lord, not only for the law, but for the tabernacle. Right, and uh, what what was the what was the purpose of the tabernacle? What would it? Where would uh? Where would it be? Center. The center. Okay, and who you know, and whose presence would be housed in the tabernacle? The, the Lord's. So it allowed the Lord's presence to be in the center of the people of Israel, um, and so he. Received that tabernacle. Let me get through the context. Sorry, um, he received our he received instructions for that tabernacle. And not only the tabernacle, but the the uniforms for the priests, for the priests themselves, for the anointing, for everything, the furniture, everything went through all of that. And he finally got all of that. Gets the two stone tablets from the Lord that was says was written by the Lord. Comes down, finds the people of Israel worshiping the golden calf. Um, and what seems to be in a, a you know, a, a particularly, uh, pagan style of worship. Um, uh, you know, we don't know for the specifics for sure, but it's, it seems that way. And so when Moses comes down, he throws the two tablets to the ground and he destroys them. And we know the tablets are the, have the covenant of the Lord upon them. And, uh, so kind of symbolic there, that sense that the, the covenant has been broken, um, not from the Lord, but from Israel, right? Through the worship of the golden calf. Um, and so they, Moses breaks the, the tablets. He gets the golden calf. He melts it down, grinds it up, pours it into the, to the drinking water, to the source of water that they have. And so everybody would have to, uh, drink it. And then he gets the, um, he calls anyone who's loyal to Yahweh to him and the tribe of Levi comes, right? And the tribe of Levi comes and together they have to cut down, um, they cut down about 3000 of the Israelites, um, which is a, a judgment, but it's also a mercy to Israel um, because the entire nation of Israel is not being destroyed. And those who might be the leaders or might be uh, most responsible for, um, uh, corrupting Israel and potentially corrupting them even further have been destroyed. And so the, um, it, the, it, it seems like the potential for future idolatry with this particular golden calf has been eliminated with this, uh, with this act of judgment. Now we know Israel is not 
going to stay faithful to Yahweh forever. But this, uh, this act has at least pushed that off and they're, they're uh, going to seek to be faithful to Yahweh now. And that's the description that the Lord gives of these people of Israel. They're stiff necked. You know, you're calling out to them, telling them to turn and they won't turn their necks. So they're stiff necked people. They're stubborn. Um, okay. That's kind of where we ended, right? I think so. Right? Jonathan? About, um, um, this is that day about 3,000 men that people fell. Yeah. Sometimes when they say that, there's a bigger group because they're just counting the men. Uh, or, were yeah, they, or were they just targeting men? I mean, that's... Um, were they doing families? No, I... Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's not a question. No. Either way, it was a... It was a, it was a Either way, it wasn't it wasn't the entire nation. It seemed to be targeting specific people. Um, that's the at least the indication of three thousand was. It wasn't just a indiscriminate slaughter. Um, okay, so that's that judgment is over. Uh, you know, the Lord told Ju- Moses to do that, and so Moses and the Levites, and and so the Levites are going to be rewarded as servants of the Lord because they uh, prioritized uh, worship of the Lord over. Uh, this false idol. Um, so now we're in verse 30. This is what it says. Let's begin there. The next day Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin. And I will, I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you will forgive their sin. But if not, please blot me out of your book. That you have written. Okay, and so sinned a great sin. So it's it's clear Moses sees what they did as a very significant evil, as a very significant wrongdoing. Obviously, not just by his words, his actions as well. Um, so Moses has done in the past what he can to correct the people and have them turn back from Yahweh. Hey Tim, and uh, doing well. And now all he can do is leave the rest in Yahweh's hands and let him administer judgment as he sees fit. Okay, and so Moses, the suggestion here is maybe he can provide some sort of sin offering on behalf of the people to make atonement. All right. He said he wanted to go up and make atonement, and, uh-huh. and he's not qualified. Only Jesus was qualified. Well, we don't know he's not qualified yet. You're, you're skipping ahead one verse. Let's or two. <laughs> you are exactly right. You are exactly right. Back to the future. Um, okay, but Mo, you're right, John. You're right. Uh, Moses begins his entreaty to the Lord with the word uh, "ana," which my translation says "alas." Alas, yours might say, "Lord, please." And I think uh, the effect of the word is, is more like "I beg you." Like it's, it's the Lord interceding for the people; He's pleading um, for these these sinners. And uh, the atonement He offers, we mentioned, is His own life. Now, mine says. Um, Blot me out. I mean, you're familiar with that. The idea is to be wiped out. And this is the first time we hear of any type of book or scroll. Um, and when we hear the, the idea of a book of life in the Bible, we associate it with the New Testament idea of the book of life, where like kind of this book of eternal life where names are written. Um, in the Old Testament, it almost kind of refers to a census. So the idea is that you have this list of names if you're taking a census of a town, you have a list of names. And if someone is in the town, they're on the list. But if they've died, then their names gets wiped off the list because they're not in the town anymore. They're, they're dead. Uh, 
And so I think that's the idea here is that uh, there's a there's a list um, of the people of Israel. We haven't heard of this idea before. It's the first time that it's brought up. And Moses is saying, um, you know, blot me out of that list if you can't forgive their sins. You know, he's offering himself as a substitute. <laughs> uh, no, no, I don't, I don't think it's quite that. I, 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 I think it's more of a census. Uh, <laughs> he said, "Who's been naughty and who's been nice?" Um, a little more severe, actually. Um, but clearly, uh, clearly, Moses has taken responsibility for his people, uh, for these people. Yeah. Um, well, Moses has taken responsibility for these people. Something I think the Lord is trying to get him to do earlier on. Um, and now he would rather give his own life than have the people be unforgiven. Um, verse 33, but the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. All right. Um, so he's, okay. So he's, he's, oh, Tim, what's up, man? I don't mean to interrupt. Yeah. Uh, I didn't see you. Uh, you, uh, oh man, I can't recall said something and yeah I, and I and I yeah I caught you a little late that's alright if you if you come back to it you, you, you were talking about uh, to talk. uh, it's okay anyway anyway we, we we come and we repent and uh, what if I hadn't mm-hmm. done it but it happens in here. Okay. And it's messing with me because I'm carrying that around with me. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. Yeah, what my, do you do about brain, that? My brain is just, uh, there's steam coming out of my ears. Okay. I'm not understanding what you're saying. Are you saying, or, let me, are you saying if you haven't committed this certain Thing, but it's in your mind. What they <coughs> is that? What you're saying? Yes, ma'am. Okay. God says, you know, if you've committed lust in your heart, you know, it's there. So you need to do something about it. That's what's driving me crazy. That's what's driving me nuts. But the situation you're also describing sounds a little more complicated than just that as well, Tim. So it's, it might just be a lot of. Uh, you know, a lot of stuff that you personally have to have to deal with and, and figure out, and it might just take time. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I'm going to keep going. Though, all right. All right. Um, whoever, but the but okay. So there's a contrast here. The Lord said to Moses, "Whoever has since sinned against me, I will blot out of my book." All right. Um, okay. Now, the, so what's the Lord doing here? He's first of all, he's he's rejecting Moses's offer as a substitution for the people, right? Moses, Jones made this point, Moses is not uh, qualified to act as a substitutionary atonement for the people of Israel, okay? In biblical language, he's not worthy. Okay, he's not worthy, sure, of doing that. All right, and so love that because we know there's a foreshadowing of someone who is worthy, right? But Moses himself is is not worthy. Even as, even as obedient and good, as Moses has been, he's compared to the rest of Israel. Yeah, he he is not he's not sufficient to do this, and so the Lord says, um, 
I will take judgment. I will make judgment as I see fit. That's essentially what he's saying. All right. I will, I will, um, you can entrust the judgment of people to me. God's not done with Moses yet. No, no, he's certainly not. Um, so it's a statement of authority, but that the Lord has the right to judge the people as he sees fit. All right. Um, and now let's, let's, let's keep going. Well, and it's all, it's, you know, it's, well, let's just keep going. Verses 34 and 35. But now go lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague to the people because he, they made the calf, the one that Aaron made. All right. Now, uh, if you read this and find this uh, somewhat confusing, I don't think you're alone. Uh, there's not much agreement on what this means. Is this something that's happening now? Is it something he's promising in the future? Um, it's not exactly clear. Um, what we can get here is the Lord promises to judge those who sinned against him. And he, and he does it with a plague, which is kind of a vague term. Does it mean sickness? Does it mean death? What does it mean? We don't get much more than just he judges them with a plague. It's interesting that he uses the term my angel singular and not generally, you know, my angel put this, that, and the other. It's interesting to me, at least, it's an angel of God. It's that same thing that he's promised before is that there's going to be some sort of. The angel, we don't know exactly what he means when he says that, when he says there's going to be my angel. It's singular, not plural. You know, okay. in the Bible we hear angels. Or right, angels. right. But this, God says, my angel, my angel, that You're going to, he's going to, there's going to be some sort of messenger. Question, or angel. You know, which angel is God have in mind? <laughs> See, that's what, that's why I don't want to go towards. Like, yeah, is he talking about specifically a, like an angel like Gabriel? I mean, that's why I don't want to get excited like because that's. Say that again. More like Michael. Michael had a special responsibility for the nation of Israel. In later passages. I had a responsibility for what? I missed the Israel, Israel, Michael. Yeah, but you said something before that. I, I missed the word. It's all right. Uh, responsibility in later okay. passages in the Old Testament. If he's talking about an archangel. Okay. Now, and we're going we're gonna to go into more of this idea of, you know, God sending a messenger to them because, you know, his, you know, we know his original intention is for him to be in the midst of the people. With the tabernacle, right? And so this is sounds a little. This is this is similar. So there's good news here, where the people have committed a great sin. Moses has interceded on their behalf, and now God's saying. So we hear like this. We we get focused on the plague and um, the punishment for the sin. But God is saying, "Listen, go lead the people to the place which I've spoken to you, and I will send someone." to lead you, all right? Well, that's, that's what they wanted. They wanted someone to lead them to the land of Canaan. They wanted to, to continue that journey. And so God is fulfilling that promise. So there's some good news here, all right? And so Moses' intercession seems to, to work to some extent. They're, they're, he, God is saying, continue on, go. And so obviously when he says that, that's why, the, that's why verse 35 is a little confusing. The Lord sent a plague upon the people. It's, he's obviously not, destroying the people, but there is some continued judgment. All right. But he still intends for the people to make their journey to the land of Canaan. So it's a, it's a little confusing. And, uh, so if you're confused by it, it's not, you're not alone. 
But the good news is that the Lord is telling Moses to lead the people to Canaan. And he's going to send a messenger. He's fulfilling the promise that he made to Moses and to the people to take them to Canaan. Okay. All right. That's the end of chapter 32. And I want to go on to chapter 33. So we can maybe clarify this a little bit. Maybe. Um, let's go to chapter 33. We can keep talking about it. Um, verses 1 and 2. The Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. All right. Okay, again, this is a continuation of the promise that the Lord made to Moses back in chapter 23. Uh, where Moses shared with the people right before they ratified the covenant, right, with a ceremony and a meal, he shared this information that the Lord was going to do this. Um, so he's going back to this promise that he made to the people of Israel just 40 days before they began worshiping the golden idol. And he's keeping that promise that he made in the covenant that Israel broke, that when Israel broke that covenant, but he's keeping that promise. Now, of course, the promise not only goes back to chapter 23, but it actually goes all the way back to Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. He's remembering the promise that he made to Abraham, right? Or Abram, I guess, back then. That there's going to be this land that he's going to bring the people to, and he's going to bless um, Abraham's seed, and they're going to become a nation. Um, and we remember the, the specific people groups he mentions here are the same as he mentions back in chapter 23 and everything. And so he's he's going to... Um, give them a messenger, all right, to go before them and to drive the people out of the land, all right? So, so far, so good for the people of Israel. That all sounds, that all, all sounds nice. But then, verses 3 to 6. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. And when the people heard this, disastrous word they mourned and no one put on his ornaments for the lord had said to moses say to the people of israel you are a stiff-necked people and for a single moment i should get up, go up among you i would consume you so now take off your ornaments that i may know what to do with you therefore the people of israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from mount horeb onward okay and so it sounds like they are they're leaving mount horeb they are making the trek the Lord has promised to bring them to Canaan, but he's sending a messenger, and yet he's not going to be in their midst. All right? Summary. Okay. So the people, but the people, so the people are mourning over this news. All right? Now, why are the people mourning over this news? They're, get, they're getting everything that they asked for before, with everything they wanted before. What they wanted from Aaron was for a messenger, someone to send a go before them and to bring them to the land of Canaan and drive out all the... They, they're getting everything that they wanted, but now they're mourning over this news. Why are they mourning? That's the soap opera back in the day. That was without, without support of the Lord. Okay. They were on their own. You're, you're well, on your own. You don't have my guidance or support. Well, they have guidance, right? They have a messenger, right? Okay, so the Lord is not Somebody with them. Is pointing them in the direction, but who's going to support them when There's going to be a messenger, but the Lord is not going to be with them. Okay, 
So it's it's a little it's kind of both, right? There's the Lord sending a messenger, and yet He will not be with them. Yeah, yeah. They've gotten used to the presence of the Lord with the the, 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 the cloud, uh, the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day, and all that okay. everything. And and now you be told great. you're not going to have that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. They're probably ashamed. Hmm? That too. You know, to yeah. to have this idea that God can't go with them because they're so bad, He might just you know. <laughs> get angry and wipe them out. Okay, so it's kind of like a protective thing God is doing here. It's like, listen, I can't go with you because I might destroy you if you if you sin again. So it's kind of protective in that sense. Yeah, if I were that, I mean, I'd be, I'd be really ashamed that you know that they had screwed up so badly and disappointed the Lord so much that. Yeah. You know, that he's like, look, I can't even go with you. I can't even go with you. <laughs> I can't even look at you right now. <laughs> he, he's going hold <laughs> resentment. No, no, no. I think it's, I think it's more protective. I think it's, you know, if I'm, you have, if you sin again like you did before, and I'm there, right there, I'm going to destroy you. It's just, it's, that's what's going to happen. Now, so there's... Well, I think the morning is, and I think Isaac gave a good example of the shame uh, that they may be experiencing. That's that's probably true, um, but the, they at least see that the presence of the Lord was a significant blessing, and now they're not going to have it anymore in their midst. And so there's there's mourning because they're not going to have the presence of the Lord in their midst. So we may have what, Lord, we may yeah. have what you can give us, and we may have all this stuff, but we don't have you. Yeah, right. Yeah, so they they see that as a as a great loss. It's like, what's the point? We're going to Canaan. We get everything we wanted, but what's the point of doing it if we don't have you? That's yeah. There That's seems to be a great loss. What book is that in? This is uh, Exodus. Um, now, Cole, one of the commentators, I like what he says. Um, wait, is this it? Hmm. No, never mind. Um, okay. <laughs> now, as uh, far as the removal of the ornaments go, Net Bible has this note: the call to remove the ornaments must have been perceived as a call to show repentance for what has happened. They if they repented, then God would know how to deal with them. They must not have given all their ornaments for the golden calf. What'd you say? I said they must not have given all of their ornaments for the golden calf. Yeah, they seem to have more. Um, but they're, but now there's like in this act of mourning, they're, and obedience, they're removing, um, all the gold. And this is going to be, I think this is kind of a perpetual thing in Israel now when they're mourning that they don't wear, um, golden gold like this, um, because of what, of what happened here. Um, I think, I think I, I would have to double check that, John. I would have to double check that. It does say from Mount Horeb forward. So that's kind of interesting that this is a new, pattern or, or something for them or is it maybe it was the wearing of the ornaments more of a Egyptian thing or mm-hmm. is this another making them a set apart? It would certainly make them distinct from every other people. They're not I mean that's that's what one of the commentators noted that too. It said that uh, uh, Cole says as an outward sign of mourning the lost presence of God Israel, the, as an outward sign of mourning the lost presence of God, Israel strips off her ornaments. In mourning, this was a temporary custom, but for Israel, it becomes a perpetual rule. Israel, in many respects, must have seen like a nation of Puritans in the ancient world, not only in worship and morals, but even in their dress. You know, they don't even wear gold like we do. Um, is the idea? I would, I would have to double check if that's 
something that continues on that seems like it. Yeah, that's yeah, interesting. One second, Tim. The Ammonites continue that today. They don't wear any jewelry. They don't wear any jewelry, the Ammonites? Right. Oh, I didn't know that. Tim? Do we have any palms? Today? Yeah, today's Palm Sunday. I don't think we have any palms. I don't know if we, we bring palms, right? No. No, I would I would know about that. So no. <laughs> All right. Um, so, yeah. We know. I'm not sure they knew at that point. But God was there when He says, "There's no place where He's not." So it's. I guess we would have to understand that as is not the special presence of, of, of God. Of course. And we, we knew that from the description of the tabernacle when he said his presence is going to be in the Holy of Holies. You know, of course, God's everywhere, but in a special sense, his presence is going to be in the Holy of Holies. Yeah. And now it's being withheld from them. Yeah. But not forever. Let's, let's continue on because the, the rest of the story is important. Um, verse 7. Now Moses used to take the tent um, and pitch it outside the camp far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. All right, And so this is interesting because now Moses is setting up his tent. So the tent of meeting normally would refer to the tabernacle. It's the the same kind of um, designation that's synonymous with the tabernacle. But that's obviously not what it means here. The tabernacle hasn't been erected. so this is, it seems like this is just Moses pitching his own tent outside the camp and making it serve as like a, a, a place where God meets or encounters Moses as his spokesperson. Um, all right. So that's, so they're moving on. They have this encampment. There's Israel's encampment. The picture is Israel's encampment is here and Moses's tent is out here away from the camp. And that's where the Lord is meeting Moses. Okay. Now his intention originally was to meet Moses. Boom, right in the middle of the camp with all the people. Not doing that anymore. It's out here. All right. And let's, we'll talk about that more. Let's continue. Verse 8 through uh, 11. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent and the Lord would speak to, with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of clouds standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again to the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, um, a young man, would not depart from the tent. All right. Okay, so we, we talked about this. The author is giving us a picture of what life looks like after the golden bull idolatry incident. The Lord will not dwell in the midst of the people, and yet he didn't abandon them altogether, right? He's not dwelling in the midst of the people, and yet he's still there. Okay, and we talked about that a little bit. Like, you know, how is he still there and yet not in their midst? Okay, this is how. Um, so this we're getting a physical picture of the result of the people's sin here, uh, in a way. There is now distance between them and the Lord, as there must be unless His holiness destroys them in their sin. Bill, uh, I think the term fits this is rejection. 
It's not complete rejection, not, not, though, right? Not complete rejection. Okay, okay. It's partial rejection because God's moved out from the, in their midst to be the center of their lives yeah. to over here. Okay. So, Outside the camp. You're not good it? enough for me to be in with you anymore. There's, I, I like, I'm uncomfortable with rejection because it's not a complete rejection, but I like the term distance, yeah. you know, which, you know, is what saying what you're saying. I like the term, like, there's distance now between the Lord and the people of Israel. Yeah. And before, there was not going to be that separation, that distance, but now there is. Um, I like what Cole says here. He says, God will not be in the midst of Israel. Okay, this is what, what you're saying. Yet he will not withdraw his presence altogether. This is symbolized in the pitching of the meeting tent outside the camp and at a distance from it. Sanctuaries were usually built a little distance away from the towns in the ancient world. So Israel has therefore lost her uniqueness as a nation among, among whom God dwells in the very midst. And now it's kind of like they're like other nations where their God kind of sits out to the side. And now instead of instead of being this unique nation where God can dwell in the very midst of them. God is showing that there's a major problem in their relationship. Yeah. Yeah, from the golden calf incident. Yeah, but it's not—it's not the end of it. It's not the end of it. All right. Um, it's, but we see that we see the people of Israel—they're acting in a manner demonstrating some level of repentance. All right. When the Lord comes down, they worship Him at the entrance of their tents. Meaning, at least—I don't know what worship would exactly entail. It would at least mean prostrating themselves. I think. Yeah. So whenever the cloud comes down, they would prostrate themselves. Is what I imagine. I don't. What else? That would include. Um, Moses obviously isn't literally meeting with the Lord face to face, okay? Because we're about to go through a story where, you know, Mo- God is going to tell Moses, you can't see my face, yeah. right? So he's not li- literally meeting face to face, but he enjoys a certain nearness to the Lord that the other, other Israelites cannot enjoy. So this is yeah. a. Um... Oh, uh, I don't know. Symbol, not symbolic, but um, a direct conversation without an intermediate. They're, they're, uh, okay. Okay. We're talking about, we talked about reconciliation last week. There's a peaceful relationship between the two parties, Moses and the Lord. There seems to be this friendly, peaceful relationship where they can just talk. Without an intermediary, I think. Face-to-face. Okay, yeah. Okay, without an intermediary, um, Jim is saying, I like that. Face-to-face. There's not someone in between them. Um, okay. And then my, my guess with Joshua, the whole thing with Joshua here is my, what commentators guesses are happening is, is whenever Moses leaves the tent to go back to the camp, Joshua stays and guards it to make sure that no one else can oh. be curious. If they're, you know, real curious of what's that tent like and try to get in there. All right. So that's, I don't know. That's, that's my guess as to why Joshua was there. All right. Let's keep going. Verse 12. <laughs> he's not there to sweep out the tent while Moses is gone. Clean it up. No, I think, he, I think he's, he's that military man. I think he's guarding it. Um, that's a guess, though. Moses said to the Lord, See, you have been saying to me, Bring this people up, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. But you said, I know you by name, and also you have found favor in my sight. Now, if I have found favor in your sight, show me your way that I may know you, that I may continue to find favor in your sight and see that this nation 
uh, is your people. All right, so we see Moses is once again interceding on behalf of the people of Israel. Uh, was, what is it that Moses wants from God, and why? What does Moses just want? Bring his presence back. It seems like that's the goal here, right? Well, how do you know that? Why, why do you guess that? <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, well, so did I, so that's why I know it too. There you go. Um, <laughs> Moses wants, that, that's exactly what Moses wants. He wants to know, so he, say, he wants to know the Lord more. That's, that's the theme. Uh, he wants to know the Lord, so I might know you. Not only may I, that I might know you, but so also I can ensure that the people is your people so that the people live in a way that you want them to live. Um, Moses wants to, wants to know the Lord so that he can communicate this knowledge of the Lord to the people. All right. And so it's, it's a really, it's a really good, really wonderful thing. Um, and this is, uh, I like what Alter has to say here. Um, the verb to know is the key word of this section, which turns Moses's urgent need to know both the nature of the guidance of God uh, what he will provide Israel, that he will provide Israel through the wilderness and God's intrinsic nature. The Hebrew idiom, I know you by name, suggests both special election and intimate relationship. All right, so it's a, it's a, it's a deep knowledge of the Lord that Moses wants to know. He wants to know him better. Um, that Bible has this note. Moses is saying that I, I want to understand what your nature and character is and shape my petitions accordingly so that I might find grace in your sight and my future prayers may be answered. All right. So he wants to know the Lord to that his future prayers may be answered. But I, I think the ultimate goal is Moses wants the Lord's presence to come back into, you know, and so this is, so the, the big thing here is we had this huge plan for this tabernacle where the Lord was going to dwell. I mean, it was chapters upon chapters of this tabernacle. No more. That tabernacle. We spent all this time on the tabernacle, and it's not here now. I mean, that's disappointing. Um, and so the Lord's presence isn't in the... I mean, obviously, it's not just disappointing because this nice tent isn't there, but because the Lord's presence isn't there. And so Moses, I think, I think he wants to know the Lord more, and... And I do think his goal is, is that he wants the Lord's presence to once again be in the temple. That, that uh, plan that they had, he wants that to happen. There, there's a benefit in that. Isaac. It feels like there's, there's a question here um, in verse 12 where, and I've got the NET, where he says, you know, you've been saying to me, bring this people up. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me, you know. With, with with this combined with hmm. God telling Moses, look, let me wipe them out and, and start a new people with you, you know, it almost feels like Moses is saying, okay, I know you've chosen me. I don't know who else you've chosen, you know, if you've chosen this people or not. He, that's why I want you to, to, you know, I want your presence so that we know that, yes, you've chosen not just me, but this people. Okay, so it's a it's a Moses is wanting this as a confirmation that the that God has actually um, uh, this that they're still the people of God. Yeah, I, I don't know if it would be a confirmation or if it would be a oh look, I want it to be this people. So you know, okay, come back and teach us. Okay, I, 
At the end of verse 13, yeah, it says, I don't Com think I don't think I read it that way. Okay. Me either. Because if you go back to 33, okay, where toward the beginning, where the Lord is saying what he's going to do. He's going to send an angel with, right? Mm -hmm. And then so I I'm not sure that what's not going on here is Moses is saying, I mean, there is a lot of knowing in there. The first part is, not you, you have not let me know whom you will send with me. That's ESV. I'm kind of thinking, I don't know this angel. You yeah. haven't given me a relationship with this angel. Yeah, that's why I thought you were yeah. going with it, Isaac. Yeah. Um, and then, and then the, the, it says, yet you have seen I, meaning God, know you by name, and you have also found favorable things of the relationship I've had is with you, not with this angel. This is not so, the first time we see an angel leading them. We've seen an angel leading them before. But this, this yeah, okay. But we knew the angel leading them before was the pillar of fire and, and cloud. That was the presence of the Lord. Okay, it's, but... But that's why it's important. Earlier, he said, I'm not going to be, my presence is not going to be there. I'm going to send you this messenger. And so we had the same question that, I feel like Moses is asking the same question that we as the reader would be asking when we're reading this. Um, you're sending a messenger, but it's not going to be your presence. Who in the, who, who are you sending us? What's, it's not you. Who is it? Um, and that makes more sense with him than saying, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. And then, especially that last little bit, which otherwise is kind of an odd sentence. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. I mean, you kind of wondered why that was tacked on, right? But it's because, think about the fact that they're your people. I mean, I, I, anyway, that's the way I take it. But I do yeah. realize it's an alternative way of looking at so, it. So NET says, and see that this nation is your people. And... So that gets kind of confusing. I think consider that this is this nation is your people. That, that makes it clearer. That makes more sense. Well, when I hear that, uh, this, this nation is your people, I think of uh, earlier when, when God was telling Moses to go down to uh, um, saying, your people has committed this great sin against me. Like he's saying, your people, to Moses. And now Moses is saying, you know, see, consider that this is your people. Yeah, I wonder if there's a play there. Yeah, <laughs> This is your people. Um, well, which, but again, also that, that, that um, if, you do, if, you don't, if you do something with them, it's his own, his own reputation. This is your people. Everyone knows that this is your people. I mean, you need to, if you don't take care of them, this is going to be like this is going to be on you and defending his reputation. I'm going to be a little strong, but <laughs> I mean, I, I, he, he did make that he did make that argument earlier. Yeah. So I mean, maybe a continuation. I don't know. When, when you say this is going to be on you, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Uh, but <laughs> this would affect this would this would this would affect your reputation. Yes. Yes. That's what you mean. This is yeah. your people. Not that it's your fault. Yes. Yeah. All right. Um, let's keep going. We got a couple minutes. I'm sure we can finish everything in a couple minutes. Two more pages of notes. Um, <laughs> I know. I got, that's a good reminder, Joan. We're going to be back next week. I'll get, get it all in now. Um, huh? Oh, yeah, next week is Easter. We'll be back in two weeks. Um, let's, okay. Maybe verse 14 is a good place to end. And the Lord said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Okay. Really reassuring to Moses if Moses was really concerned about who was going with us and he wants the Lord 
to be with them. He's answering them, right? Rest doesn't mean I'm going to give you a break. We know that, right? That rest is, doesn't mean that they're just going to sleep. Um, but uh, the expression, here's in that Bible, I think this is helpful. The expression certainly refers to the peace of mind and security of knowing that God was with them. But it also came to mean that God is going to settle them in the land of promise and give them rest and peace from their enemies. Um, so there's rest could be the sense of peace of mind where they were so concerned and anxious about before about who's going to go with them and they, they worship an idol and everything. And, yeah. Parallel with what Jesus says, if you come to me, I will give you rest. Yeah. That's some kind of your rest for your, 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 your trust and your hope is in me. Things are going to be happening, but you, you can find rest. Yeah. 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 That's a good parallel. Yeah. Moses is not going to have to worry because the Lord is with him. Um, so, now, so now Moses is satisfied, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why we're ending on this verse. We can just assume that. Deal with it when we come back. Uh, <laughs> you keep saying them. It says you. So does it mean Moses or you as in all the people? Hmm. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but but it's a good it's a good no 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 I think it's an important thing to say that uh, that Moses's intercession is the reason that this is happening because Moses interceded for his people and then he has a he has a face to face friendly relationship with the Lord. Um, and so the, I think the U part's important. But yeah. it, it, is this is this promise singular or plural? That's a grammatical question that you can look up. Is this promise singular or plural? I will give you Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. You know, man, I didn't even think of the, to look that up. Um, I'll have to do that. I don't remember to do that. Um, okay. It's not even in the text. It's in the balance. In verse 14, my huh? presence shall go yeah. with you. Let's look here. Go with you. Hold on. There's a. Let's see if there's anything helpful here. Yeah. Yeah. The Net Bible has a note the phrase with you is not in the Hebrew text, but is implied. But the give you, give you, what about the you there? That is there. Yeah. And so we can look at that. You is that specifically <laughs> Moses, or I mean, I mean, I mean, obviously later on Israel's going to, but is he promising? I think it may, maybe some significance is whether he's promising at this point, whether he's promising Moses or everyone. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I assume it's everyone. That's my assumption. But I, I assume it's based off of what Moses has done here. And so the you makes sense, and so does the everyone. And, and I, I was thinking of more promising Moses verses. While we we have to end, while we end there, I like the the parallel you made, Jonathan, to the rest of like the the rest that we can know because we know Jesus as the Lord. The the people are going to be able to know rest because the presence of Yahweh is in their midst. We can know rest because the presence of the Lord is with us. Burden or something like that. And weary. And I will give you rest. Yeah. Somewhere in the office. Yeah, yeah. 
we have a God that we can lay all our anxieties and our burdens upon him and he can handle them. Um, and so there's, there's a, there's a lot to take from these verses. Um, I plan, I plan to get through a, a few more and, uh, but you guys always give such good discussion that we, we end early and that's all right. No, we don't end early, but we, uh, a little shorter than what I planned and that's okay because the discussion is worth it. Um, so let me pray for us and we'll get going. Father, we thank you for your word. We do thank you for the rest that you provide to us through Christ. God, that uh, as the hymn says, Lord, we can know it is well uh, with our souls because what Christ has done on the cross for us. And so, Lord, uh, something that we don't have to have anxiety about or worry about because we have the sure and steady promise of your word that our sins are forgiven, that your spirit dwells within us and has sealed us for that great day of promise when you shall return that we have to look forward to. And so, Lord, we pray for that we might continue to experience the rest and peace that only you can provide in all of life's circumstances. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.